0: I'm David Cross, and you may know me for my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, an investment advisory practice. I've been an advisor for nearly 30 years, and one of the questions I get asked most frequently is, do I have enough money relative to other people my age? And while that's an interesting question, it's also the wrong question. The right question is, is, do you have enough money to sustain your lifestyle for the rest of your life? This is a question you should know the answer to. This is what we do. Check us out at us am.com and look for our big proud American Eagle logo. back to Ukraine sit rep where we try to bring you what's going on on the ground in Ukraine as well as what's happening from a historical perspective in this bloody conflict on the Russian Ukraine border in East Europe so we've got with us a fascinating guest today Colonel Douglas McGregor I think you'll find his history and his points really interesting on what's happening in Ukraine and why we're there before we get there please sign up for our no ad subscriptions and our newsletters we don't get Zuckerbucks. CD Media is a global media company. We have reporters around the world. We're bringing you news you won't get anywhere else, I guarantee you, and we need your support. It's $10 a month, and you get access to all 12 of our websites with no ads. We are running to the sound of the guns in places like Colorado, Georgia, Connecticut, Montana is on the way, and our websites are second to none, and the news is fantastic. So please check us out. Put us in your daily scan. Sign up for I Know Ad subscriptions. You get, ad, you get content across the whole network with no ads. Thank you very much. And now let's get to our guest. We got with us today on Ukraine sit rep, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Is that how you say your name, McGregor? I'm sorry, <laughs> McGregor, yeah. It's uh, one of those
1: strange foreign names.
0: <laughs> I'm Scottish too in my background. But uh, anyway, so uh, you are a former army commander. You were an advisor to DOD. You're a member of the Trump administration, uh, television personality but you wrote an article recently on Ukraine, which really caught my attention and I wanted to talk to you about it. So thanks for joining us today, I appreciate it. Sure. So I'm of the opinion, I've been writing this for about a decade. Ukraine's one of the most corrupt places in the world. It's not our sphere of influence. It's not in the American national security interest to be there. It's not in the interest of our military to be expending stores and uh, laundering money there. So um, what are your thoughts on the whole
1: situation? Let's start there. Well, are you asking me why we are there, or uh, do you want to talk about what's happening right now?
0: I, I want to know what's happening right now. I mean, what what do you see on the ground, and and what are your thoughts on how this is going to play out? I guess is the question.
1: Well, I think uh, the Ukrainians uh, have lost probably somewhere between 300 and 350 thousand dead on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many wounded is anybody's guess at this stage? All we know is that the hospitals are full. Uh, there's there's no room left. Ukrainian army is having great difficulty evacuating wounded in many cases. I think the, the Ukrainian army itself is breaking down. Many units have uh, simply melted away. Some have gone over to the Russians, not because they wanted to join the Russians, but they said, "Look, you know, we've got very little ammunition left. We've got lots of wounded." Uh, we've contacted our superiors. They, they say they can't evacuate us, so we're going to surrender. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think we've reached almost reached the end game. We're certainly in the final phase of this war. And now, of course, in the northeast uh, corner of where the Russians are located in this sort of banana-like configuration around southern Ukraine, uh, the Russian forces have broken through in great strength towards uh, Kupyansk, Uh, and also Liman and they'll shortly control road junctions which will allow them to go either due west or turn uh, northwest certainly can turn north and easily encircle Kharkov. Mm -hmm. and there are other areas where they're moving forward now some units in the Ukrainian army further south near Hassan have tried to once again attack Russian defenses but so people understand these defenses are enormous in strength and depth and lethality you've got about a 15 to 25 kilometer security zone out in front of three main defensive belts ukrainians have never gotten through the security zone to reach any of the main defenses so it's kind of a hopeless situation i think they've been squandering human life on a on an industrial scale in the hopes of winning greater political support but i think it was demonstrated at vilnius that that support isn't forthcoming that uh, almost everything that anybody can send to them from NATO has been sent obviously we're promising f-16s now which who knows when those things could possibly arrive and would they fundamentally change everything you you know from your own experience as a pilot yeah if you don't have airborne warning and control systems up there you're not going to get much out of these individual aircraft and again, you know, the infrastructure to ever support and sustain a large army was never really built. The biggest problem is we, you know, we've tried to build this force on the fly. And, uh, you know, you can't do that. You have to have some institutional basis for the force. You have to have a training regimen set up. Too many different equipment sets. It becomes a logistical nightmare.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I think it's, it's pretty much over. And now we'll watch and see how rapidly the Russians move forward. They thus far have been very deliberate, very cautious, because President Putin has tried very hard to avoid a direct confrontation with the United States and NATO. That's something he doesn't want. What he's wanted from the very beginning and has never gotten really are serious negotiations. Mm-hmm. Now, When they started in, in March and early April, it suddenly slipped out that uh, the Ukrainian team had expressed a willingness to accept neutrality which is something that I always favored. I could never understand what was wrong with the idea of neutrality since the principal value of Ukraine uh, until the war started was that it kept Russian military power five, 600 miles to the east, Yeah, which was fine. Uh, that was Ukraine's mission as far as we were concerned at shape headquarters. Uh, now, can, does Ukraine have to be a NATO member? Absolutely not. And it, it, it doesn't depend on that for its security and survival. Now, today, things have changed. A lot of blood has been spilled, you know, and, and once blood is spilled in great quantities, hatreds take root, becomes very difficult to bring things to a close. But I think right now, the integrated air defenses and the uh, enormous numbers of strike systems that reach out anywheres from 20 kilometers to a thousand or more, Those have to be moved forward along with the integrated air defenses to protect the maneuver force. So that takes time and effort, and the Russians are doing that. And remember, when they move forward, their air defenses are also moving forward their electronic warfare capability, Mm -hmm. which is enormous. And it's uh, had a profound impact on the ability of the Ukrainians to operate. Bottom line is uh, if the Russians want to be in Kiev in a week or two weeks, they can get there. Uh, I don't know what kinds of orders have been issued, but it looks as though there will be a slow but deliberate and cautious advance, grinding up whatever comes in happens to come into their path. And I think that's been the story now for, for the last several months. Uh, you know, if you try to confront this monster, it eats you alive. And that's what the Russians have done. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to lie to everybody and tell everybody, oh no, that's not right. This is a pause. The Ukrainian counteroffensive really hasn't even gotten started yet. You know. <laughs> This is nonsensical, but that's what goes on in Washington, and they will continue to lie until the disaster is so so complete that it will be impossible to conceal. You, you know, know, there's, there's a narrative going clear. on.
0: There's what a narrative inside.
1: the End of this. That's the question, and I don't see anybody in the West that seems to be seriously interested in that.
0: Completely agree. There's a narrative within DOD, and I've heard it from a lot of, uh, you know, field grade and above Army officers, that we are there to – degrade the Russian army and destroy their equipment and it's a chance to do it without American lives and I say well you're gonna you know you're gonna expend to the last Ukrainian to destroy the the Russian army I mean that that is just falsehood and am
1: I right oh it's it's absurd yeah if anything this war has made Russia much more powerful than it ever was before certainly in purely military terms there are 750,000 troops now In Western Russia, in and around Ukraine, uh, about 300 plus thousand are simply sitting in reserve waiting to be told what to do. We also know that the mobilization of the original 320,000 or 340,000 reservists never really stopped. Mm
0: -hmm. That
1: partial mobilization has continued. I've got friends that are telling me that uh, men in universities and technical schools uh, are being pulled out as we as we're speaking and are showing up to be mobilized and trained and sent into action i think the plan is to go to 1.2 million so that means what uh, probably another 4 to 500,000 and recently there was an announcement that uh, the duma was considering legislation to mobilize another 500,000 troops now to this has to be added the fact that russia has either discarded or used up its older equipment and is now issuing brand new equipment Mm -hmm. and their missiles or rockets or artillery ammunition, their stocks are enormous. Their factories are running seven days a week, 24 hours a day, churning out whatever is required. So Russia is now this looming military power that it was not in February of 2022 at all. And again, you know, when he went in there, Putin went in with a small force He was really trying to get people's attention because he concluded well nobody believes me when i keep telling them and i've been telling them for 20 years don't move nato closer to russia yeah we won't tolerate missiles in eastern ukraine that can attack our deterrence our nuclear deterrence as well as our cities within the space of a few minutes we're not going to do it we don't like the bio labs that you put in there what are they for the 23 or 24 bio labs that we funded under very strange circumstances And uh, why are you raising this giant Ukrainian army of almost 400,000, giving them all this NATO equipment? What's your intent? Well, obviously it's malicious. And clearly they they got tired of the fact that the Russians were killing civilians, that is Russian civilians in Luhansk and Donetsk, the so-called breakaway republics. Uh, They killed something in the neighborhood of 14,000 people after 2014. I mean, we could go on and on and on, but the bottom line is what happened should not have surprised anybody in the West. But the big lie is that somehow or another this was inevitable and the Russians want to march all the way to the Atlantic. Well, no, I don't see much evidence for that. I never saw any evidence for it before. But now you've got an army that's certainly large enough to do whatever is going to be asked of it. And we should pause and think about that very carefully. So I would think that seeing the Russians commit on the scale that they have and improve as well as much as they have very, very quickly to become very competent, we ought to be saying, hey, let's bring this to an end. Let's yeah. stop this monster from growing any further. It's sort of like one of these horror movies, you know, from the 1950s. First, you have the tail of the giant reptile. and Then overnight, this thing becomes a huge Tyrannosaurus Rex. Well, Tyrannosaurus has grown up in, in Russia, and it's getting bigger. But nobody seems to think about that. Everybody's worried about, well, I can't just... Say we were wrong. How do we admit we were wrong? You know, this is the thing that's so nice about Trump. He's always been against this from the beginning and always warned against it. He was dead right. And, of course, they've accused him of being a Russian puppet, as they've accused me of that. It's all nonsense. Now you have RFK Jr., who very intelligently has said, this is not in our interest. We want peace. We want to get along with the Russians. Hey, gosh, what an idea. Uh, So we do have some sane people now. but they're the only ones i haven't heard anybody else say that what
0: what what do you think is behind this in your estimation i mean i have my ideas i think it's to weaken us for whatever china wants to do in other theaters that's one goal but what what do you think is the reason this is it just incompetence i can't i can't believe that i think there has to be
1: some agenda well as i point out very often uh, i think we have government by donors I don't think our government in Washington really is very responsive to the population and its needs. If it were, we wouldn't have open borders. If it were, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't have millions and millions of people pouring into our country about whom we know nothing. Uh, We wouldn't be doing a lot of the things that we're doing right now. Some of these things are being done by omission. Don't enforce the law. Would we release hardened criminals onto the streets of our major cities to murder people? I don't think we would. Mm -hmm. What are we doing about the drugs? Everybody mentions fentanyl. They complain about China. Well, first of all, China is a nation of 1.4 billion. Just imagine that. You wake up every morning and you're the emperor, Xi. He's effectively the Chinese emperor. Right. And what's your number one concern? Yeah. This place together. Yeah. You know, and wonder whether or not by the end of the week, you're, you're not going to be uh, on the scaffold someplace because they're tired of you and want something better. That's That's Chinese history for the last several thousand years. They're not interested in expanding and they certainly don't want to invade Taiwan. I don't think they'll have to. I think the Taiwanese will ultimately say, sure, we'll reunify. This is how it'll happen. This is what we want, and They'll get it and it'll be over with. But we, we seem to jump from conflict to conflict. And the only thing I can think of is that in Russia in particular is very, as we all know, rich in resources. It has an abundance of food and minerals and oil and gas. And then you have uh, a lot of sort of despicable characters that have come out of London and New York City that want to go in and steal it yeah. or get control of it. So I'm sure there's a certain amount of that. I mean, there's a there's a book by this man Browder called Red Notice. Yeah, it's, ter- it's a terrible book. I mean, when I read it, I the only thing I could think I was at the end. If I were Putin, I'd have shot this man myself because all he was there to do is rape and pillage Russia. So I think I think that's part of it. And then the other part is that. Washington is aware that it's in decline, largely as a consequence of its own stupid actions, but they don't want to give up on anything. In other words, if you go back and look at the British Empire, the British Empire did not fall apart until their debt to GDP ratio was 240% and they could no longer afford to stay in India, the jewel in the crown. Then suddenly from 1947 onwards, everything collapses, falls apart. I see this happening in the same way. We don't want to leave anything anywhere. We insist that we must be everywhere, that we must be the decisive actor. It goes back to this ridiculous statement that uh, Madeleine Albright made to General uh, Colin Powell. Powell. Yeah. We're, we're the indispensable superpower. You keep talking about this great army. Well, why can't we use it? Yeah. And words, yeah. the, the idea that you maintain forces as a strategic hedge against the possibility that you may have to fight a major war you'd rather not fight so on the one hand it's supposed to deter but if you have to fight you've got the core that you can rapidly build upon and fight the war it was never designed none of our forces were designed to be used relentlessly all over the world in in pursuit of all sorts of missions that don't make any sense that have nothing to do with our national security so here we are. Uh, I, I wish I had an easy answer, but I think the American people need to understand something. The people in Washington that are governing are not really interested in you. Now, yeah. wake up. Yeah, this is not about Democrats and Republicans anymore. And that's the nice part about seeing RFK Jr. show up on one side and Trump on the other, because they can both agree that America and its interests must come first. I'll support and serve in any administration that takes that, that position because it's so foreign to Washington, D.C. For sure.
0: Let, let's switch gears for a minute. We've got real problems in DOD to talk about that. Um, I, I, I feel like uh, a lot of these officers need to be held accountable for their behavior. What, what are your thoughts about that?
1: Well, if you try to hold them accountable, they'll stand up and tell you, well, I did what I was told. And let's face it, the the way you get to the top is by questioning nothing and uh, swearing unconditional obedience to dumb ideas. I saw this back in the 1990s. I had arguments with people like Dave Petraeus when I was a lieutenant colonel and he was a lieutenant colonel and others. And they would say, well, you know, uh, low-intensity conflict is a growth industry. We have to get into this. And I'd say, low-intensity conflict, it sounds like low-intensity thought. What are we doing? Why are we going to these places? We've never been in the Balkans. We have no vital strategic interest there. Now the Russians have a long history in the Balkans. They've been fighting Muslim Turks for at least a thousand years in the area as, long, as well as in Central Asia and Ukraine. Perhaps they have a legitimate interest in the place, but we don't. They've gone in there to protect Orthodox Christians from the Muslims, but we haven't. What are we doing? You know, I, I was not a big advocate for intervention there. I wondered what we were doing in Haiti. We can't fix Haiti. And if if anything, uh, we probably made it worse. You know, we, we can go back to Southeast Asia. What are we doing in Vietnam? The French were here how long and they've left. And what are we doing? Well, we're fighting communism. Really? Looks like a civil war, but nobody wanted to go there. And yeah. everyone was a communist being directed from Moscow, which was never true, as we all know. So, I, you know, the, the, this is not going to end until Americans finally say enough, but Let's face it, Todd. Uh, how many Americans know where Ukraine is? How many Americans know what's happening and care? You know, it's a huge problem.
0: Well, that's why we're doing this show. Hopefully, uh, we'll, we'll, get, we'll we'll change a few hearts uh, with this one episode. So, last subject: service academies. I'm an Air Force grad. You're a West Point grad. Uh, we got major problems there. Um, you were on the board of visitors at West Point, I believe, uh, prior- for a month. <laughs> Biden fired everybody Trump appointed. Yeah. How do we, I mean, there's serious Marxist infiltration at these institutions. How do we combat this?
1: Well, there are a couple of things that have to be considered. Uh, Number one is West Point is a cadet school modeled on uh, the cadet schools in France under Napoleon. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, So is VMI. I went to Virginia Military Institute for a year. They were modeled on the uh, uh, Ecole Polytechnique in Paris. Mm -hmm. Now, the question is, what are we trying to turn out? Because historically, for hundreds of years, West Point turned out engineers who were desperately needed in the 19th century as the country grew and expanded. Is that what we need now? Uh, Do we need four-year cadet schools Four year colleges uh, that are gonna that are gonna give everybody a, a bachelor's and something. Used to be Bachelor of Science, which was at least demanding. Now it's a bachelor's and whatever, I guess. Is that what we need? Or do we need something else? Do we need a West Point? I think we do. Do we need Annapolis? I think we do, but perhaps not quite what they're doing now, and perhaps not for four years. Mm-hmm. But if you say that, everybody has a heart attack. You know, well, that's the way it's always been. Well, you know, a lot of things used to be a certain way and we got rid of them. You know, we used to have firemen on locomotives. Well, we don't have firemen on diesel trains anymore. So mm-hmm. we, we have to take a look at what it is that we're doing because we spend a lot of money on it. And then there we have to look at the people that graduate, how are they performing and are they being retained? Now, retention is a huge problem. And as I tell everybody, and I'm sure you can identify with this, if you tell everyone who might, join you in the military that right over here in the corner is uh, Susie who weighs all of 110 pounds. She's a very nice girl. And by the way, there's nothing you bring to this organization that Susie can't also give us. So what do you do if you're 18, 19, 20, 21 year old man who is intelligent, moderately, or at least uh, hopefully athletic. You know you're the kind of person that likes competition you're looking for a challenge in life you want to validate yourself prove that that you're a man and now you're being told well look you know what are you you know i and then just throw into that mix the transgender nonsense yeah you know i think we've gotten to the point now with homosexuality that people realize that if you're discreet and you maintain standards of the profession In other words, you don't embarrass the place you can embarrass somebody, whether you're homosexual or heterosexual, that's not really an issue. But now we've moved into completely new territory with this transgender nonsense. And that's the last thing that any reasonable commander of any force that's supposed to fight wants to have to deal with somebody who wants to come to work in high heels and a, and a dress because he says he's a woman or she says he's a man or whatever, this is nonsense. That's not what military establishments exist to do. So you got to get back to the idea that ultimately military establishments exist to kill the enemies of the state and the American people. That's it. We're, yeah. not, we're not there. This is not an encounter group. This is not a summer camp. We're not there to accommodate everybody's specific needs. As you remember the old saying from Star Trek, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few? Well, welcome to the U.S. military establishment. If that's unacceptable to you and you don't understand that you're putting your life on the line, that there are other things more important than you, including the organization you're part of and the nation, well then don't, don't join. But don't come in here and tell us, you know, this is your right to exercise all these dubious things and that we have to put up with it. No, everybody gets in the uniform, you cut your hair and you shut up and you do what you're told and you learn your profession. I I don't know how to be more blunt about it, but that's where it is. So it's not just marxism it's the whole whole ridiculous ideology that has grown up over the last 30 40 years and uh, you know i i once testified in front of the service armed services committee i think it was the airland subcommittee and a senator interrupted me and he said you know colonel mcgregor i haven't heard you mention uh, women in command on the battlefield uh, do you think that women don't belong in combat I said, yes, sir. Well, you know, you could have heard a pin drop in the room. Everybody was looking to see what happened next. He said, well, why not? What's your objection? I said, 5,000 years of recorded human history.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Well, uh, I disagree with you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. On the basis of what, Senator? You know, come on. This is all political feel-good nonsense. Does nothing for our national military capability. And if you look at the Russians and the war in Eastern Europe or Eastern Ukraine, that's war. Hundreds of thousands of people are wounded and killed, especially if you're not well-equipped, not well-organized, not trained and not ready to fight. So if that's what you want, Hey, knock yourself out. I don't.
0: Well, Colonel, I'm uh, a couple things. I hope you'll come back down the road as this, uh, Tragedy unfolds in Ukraine and give us your opinion again. But I also hope to see you in the, the future Trump administration again because uh, your viewpoints are right in lines with ours at uh, Armed Forces. Press. So,
1: well, before we leave, now tell me yeah. about Wood. What is your true uh, Highland or Gaelic ancestral name? Do you know? What yeah,
0: um, you? Well, I'm, I'm part of the Gregory clan as well.
1: Um, Gregory. Well, if you're a Gregory, then you're a McGregor because there's no such thing as a Gregory clan.
0: Well, okay. I'm not an expert. Okay. My my father was a Presbyterian minister from that whole long clan of... Well, not all of us
1: are perfect. That's tough.
0: <laughs> but I can trace it back direct to
1: Scotland for sure. So. Yeah, absolutely. English. Well, that's why you have common sense, a rare commodity <laughs> these days. Well, God bless and talk to you again sometime. Thank you, sir. Take care. Bye-bye.